We're going to continue our study of 1 John, and we're going to be talking about real victory this morning. And so we're going to find our place in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Can you believe we're just to the third chapter in this book that we started at the beginning of the year? Thank you for standing as we prepare to read the Word of God together. And uh, again, it just so happened to fall. By the way, I had uh, selected these passages, this book, and it just so happened we were going to be talking about real victory this day uh, ahead of time. And uh, it just also happens to be that uh, for about 98% of us, the team we cheer for is playing for a victory tonight. So we've had a little fun with that theme this morning. If you found, found your place in 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we'll kind of pick up the rest of them a little, little bit later in the message. But he says, look or behold at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know when he appears that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we thank you for the hope and the victory that we have in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that today we would discover what ultimate victory is all about. And so, Lord, guide our hearts and our minds toward that victory this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, I will ask you, some of you know me well, and uh, some of you that uh, have been in conversations or, or seen my uh, posts on social media that have anything to do with sports, know that when it comes to sports, I am a pessimist. And so I've always, it's always been my approach, never set your expectations too high, because you'll be, uh, you'll be disappointed. When it, and, and so forgive me, because I kind of grew up around here, and that's just sort of, I, I was a Falcon fan years ago. I heard all the jokes all the years. I, you know, I've heard some even recently, I thought, if, if you didn't hear this, maybe you've heard this through the years, how many Falcons does it take to win a Super Bowl? Well, the answer was always, well, nobody knows, <laughs> and we may never. What, do you, um, what is the difference between a Falcons fan, or I'm sorry, an Atlanta Falcons player and a, and a dollar bill? We always heard that the answer that you can get four quarters for a dollar bill, from a dollar bill, right? might have a hard time getting four quarters. Not this year. I'm, I'm thinking this is the year, right? Uh, I remember somebody asking, and this was during a bad season, maybe a year ago, but did you hear about the joke that Matt Ryan told his receivers? And uh, when the reply was, no, I didn't hear about it. Well, it, it went over all of their heads like everything else. Not this year, right? That's what we're saying. Not this year. This is, this is our year. Uh, why can't Matt Ryan use the phone anymore? Because he can't find the receiver. We've heard those things. What do Atlanta Falcons and Chick-fil-A employees have in common? My son works for Chick-fil-A. I got this one pretty quick. They, they don't show up on Sundays. You could go on and on. We, we've heard all of these stories. And, you know, um, what do Falcons, you know, guilty of this one, right? What do Falcons fans do right after the Falcons win a Super Bowl? Well, they usually turn off the PlayStation or the Xbox, or whatever. We keep saying, not this year, this, this is our year. So to encourage us, Falcons fans, 
Um, I would say this much. Keep in mind today that uh, this past fall, the Cubs won the World Series. All right? So for those of you who are saying 51 years if we don't have a Super Bowl, keep in mind the Cubs won the World Series. If you're not a baseball fan, you may not, you may not get that, but uh, if the Cubs can win the World Series, certainly, certainly the Falcons can win a Super Bowl. Well, victory does inspire victory. And when we see a, an underdog achieve and we see somebody uh, of little expectations, by the way, all these jokes and everything, it, it, they've come out of uh, not only the New England states, but all over the country. And I've, I've heard people kind of cracking. But, um, but victory, when you see someone experience it, it kind of inspires more victory. Last week, we talked about pretenders and contenders. And we discovered that on the pretender side, now we'll shift gears over to the contenders this morning. When it comes to real victory, we saw that the pretenders were found loving the passions of this world. They got bogged down in the things of this world. We saw that, that pretenders were leaving the people of authentic faith. You couldn't count on pretenders. They wouldn't always be around. And so we saw in chapter 2 that they were quick to, to when the going got tough, they, they got out of town, so to speak. And then we saw that the pretenders were lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Scripture reminds us that we will have a kind of a outward form of religion in the last days, but there will be people who are denying the power that's in the gospel, the power that's in true, authentic faith. And so they were lacking in that power. We saw all those descriptions of pretenders. But what about contenders? What about those that he's writing about here in chapter 3. How can we identify if someone is, is real and they're a real contender for the faith? Not only will they do the opposite of what we saw last week with the pretenders, there are certain other qualities that they will begin to emulate, uh, things that they will know beyond any shadow of a doubt. You'll see that word know again and again in 1 John. And it talks about having a real experiential knowledge, not just a head knowledge of something, but having a knowledge of experience, of a relationship, something that is real. And again, the whole Gnostic thing of where they kind of separated the religious from the uh, secular, and they kind of said, well, look, we're, you know, uh, the secular world, the physical world, the material world, that, that's real. There's nothing really real. The, the, the spiritual is just kind of separate, so we can live one way and believe another. And, and John is saying, that's not true. And if you're going to be a contender and not a pretender, if you're really genuine, if you are for real in your faith, then there are going to be some things that you believe, things that you know about yourself and about our Lord that will cause you to walk in victory. And so, what are those things that we see in this chapter? What is it that contenders know and understand that perhaps those who are pretenders would never get their mind around or, or, or their heart would never embrace. First of all, as we go back to this first verse in the text, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, is that contenders know that God has declared them children of his love. Contenders, those who are for real in their faith and experience real victory, are people who know beyond a shadow of doubt that they are a child of the living God, and though they may not understand why they know God loves me with a love that I can't get my mind around, that I, I don't understand it and I can't explain it, and sometimes I can't describe it to somebody else, but they know God loves me. 
And, and from childhood, children learned to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And somewhere along the way, that love becomes so real. And so John says, behold, <laughs> see this. This word is an imperative. It means look. I think he's talking to men here trying to get their attention, right? Pay attention. See this. You're not getting it. God loves you. And sometimes we don't live like we truly believe that. But contenders begin to grasp that. Not, not that they understand all of that love, but they, they believe it, that they believe God loves them with an everlasting love. And he says, what manner, behold, look, see how great, what manner. It's, it's unimaginable. That, that phrase, what manner, refers to quality and quantity. That's why in the NIV it uses the words lavished. It says you know, that the Father has lavished us with this kind of love. It's immeasurable. It's so great. And it's continuing. And it never ends. Behold what love, what manner of love the Father has lavished, poured out upon us, that He has given us. The phrase there, has given speaks of something, a, a past action with continuing results. Not, okay, that's something I experienced in the past. He has given it. But it's past action with continuing he, he has given it, and it's something that I'm to live my life in from this day forward. His love, his perfect love for me. You say, what, what do you mean declared? What did he do to to show this kind of love for us, that we should be called. He, he declared us children of God. He loved us so much that he made us his own. And, he, and I love how the Holman puts the exclamation point after the next three words, and he says, and we are. We are children of God. We are recipients of his love for us. John said the same thing in his gospel in chapter 1 in verse 11 where it says he came into his own and his own did not receive him. He goes on to say in verse 12, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right or the authority or the power to be called the children of God, even to those who what? Those who believe on his name. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have become adopted as the children of the living God, adopted through Christ according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's the way Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 puts it. According to his, because of His great love for us, according to His good pleasure, He has placed us in His kingdom as His beloved children. And we should get more excited about that today than we ever could by identifying with any Super Bowl champion. And that's our love. That, that's the love that has saved us and redeemed us and placed us in the family of God. I love Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is like, this is a beautiful chapter set right in the middle of scriptures saying, I want you to know everything that you have because of this relationship. I want you to understand what's coming. And we won't read the whole chapter, but let me just remind you what a few of the verses say. Verse 1 just begins that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. I am forgiven and free because of his love and his sacrifice for me. In verse 4, I'm told that God's righteous requirements are going to be met because I'm now walking in the Spirit. Verse 9, if I don't have the Spirit, I do not have Christ. That Holy Spirit, verse 11, has given me life. The same Spirit that raised 
Christ from the dead is living in me, giving me a new power for living in verses 14 through 17. And then verses 26 and 27, we see that he's given us the spirit of adoption through which we're crying out, Abba, Father, to the one who is interceding on our behalf so that even if we don't know what to ask for, even if we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit, because of God's great love and we are adopted as his children, his Holy Spirit is now making intercession for us as the adopted children of God, saying, I know that the Father has a love for his children. And the Spirit begins to intercede in our behalf, even when we can't pray for ourselves. In verse 28, we have this confidence that all things are working together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose, right? Those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. In verse 37, we're told that we are more than conquerors as a result of this love relationship. And verses 38 and 39 remind us again and again that there's nothing in this world that could ever separate me or you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this morning, if you can't get excited about anything else, we should leave this place fired up about the fact that God loves us and nothing could ever change that. He has made us his children and nothing could ever rob us. He said, Jesus said, all that the Father's put in my hands I shall not lose any of them. Nothing can rob us. And we sit here and wonder, how tight am I holding on to God? How, how passionately am I grasping for Jesus Christ? And the truth of the matter is, it's that He has taken hold of us, and He is saying to us this morning, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you go. You might fight, you might come against what I'm trying to do in your life, but I love you with an everlasting love, and it's a love that will never let go. Now, we need to remember that when we understand, see, contenders, we, we begin to walk in victory when we understand how much God loves us and that, that he's declared us as children. You know, when, you, when you're a child, you're reminded to behave in a certain way, right? Not so that you can become a child. If my parents said, now, remember whose child you are so that you behave a certain way. I did not go and behave that way so that I could earn the right to become their child. I behaved that way because I already am their child. And I knew there might be consequences if I didn't act appropriately. And sometimes we would, may, may have a, a group, and more often Pastor Ben and some of the youth workers would, would be in this situation where they, they drive up to a, a, a fast food restaurant because of a youth trip or whatever. And they drive up in a church van. Now, we just, we just got a new van. We don't have the name on the side of it yet, but we do plan to put it out there regardless of who's going to be riding in it, right? We, but the, usually the church vans or buses, whatever we've driven to pass, have Trinity Baptist Church. So you pull up, <clears throat> and you make a couple of statements, and you say, all right, as we get out to go in this restaurant, I want you to remember a few things. The name of the church is on the van. So they're going to know that you're members of our church, they're going to know that you're claimed to be Christians. And so act like, act in a way that reflects what we're saying. Man, it kind of stamped, <laughs> that name stamped, we want you to behave in a certain way. Sometimes as parents, you remember whose kids you are, your activity and your actions reflect your upbringing, so really behave. But more important that, than our parents on earth, or more important than the name on a church van, all of us when we come to the place where we realize I am a child of the living God, then I don't live my life in a way to say, okay, I've got to be victorious so that God might deem me worthy of adoption. No, I say God has so loved me 
that I wouldn't dare want to let him down in this world because I wear his name. I've been declared a son, a daughter of the living God. And so it begins to shape the way we contend for the faith. And someone who doesn't get that, someone who doesn't embrace that, it could be an indication that they're not even a child of God because the Holy Spirit's not bearing witness. Going back to that Romans 8 passage, it says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. And so if His Spirit's not bearing witness with my spirit, shaping the way I live my life, it could be a real indication that I'm a pretender and not a contender. And so contenders know that they are declared the children of his love. Secondly, this morning, contenders know that God has destined them to the glory of his likeness. God has destined them to the glory of his likeness. Look back down at verse 2 and verse 3 here. He says, dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. Thank God he's not finished with us yet, right? Thank God that, that God's got even better things in store. And he says, says, we know that when he appears, that day we will be like him. There's going to be a glorified body given to us because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, you have this hope this morning. And I'm so grateful for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. He says, if you have this hope, then what? You begin to purify yourself just as he is pure, knowing that he's not finished with me, he's got to work, he's going to one day give me a glorified body. When I begin to understand my destiny in him, I begin to live my life with the end in mind of what God is, is doing and what he wants to do. And, and, and I begin to become and cooperate with his recreating me, making me a, a new person in him. We begin becoming practically who we already are positionally, positionally in Christ, justified as though I had never sinned. Now practically, this is beginning to work out in my life because I see the end. He says we have this hope, the hope that we're moving towards something. You know, the, a lot of people are, love to discuss and, and debate the concept of predestination and, and it's in the Bible, so I believe anything that's in the Bible. But Romans 8, 29 says, we are predestined to become conformed to what? His image. And so God is making me and you more like Jesus every day. That's what contenders are doing. They're becoming more like Christ. And if you would have to say, you know, I've never had a desire to be more like Jesus. I've seen no evidence in my life from the point that I... I got saved or thought I got saved or shook a preacher's hand or walked an aisle or, or got dunked in some water somewhere. I've never seen a point in my life where I really started becoming more like Christ. Then I have to ask, are you for real? Or are you a pretender and not a contender? Because contenders live with the end in mind and believing that Jesus has destined us for the glory of his likeness. And we begin to cooperate with what he's doing in our lives even today. See, have we forgotten as a church where we're going? Have we, have we forgotten as individual Christ followers this morning what the end of all of this is? What God is doing in our life and, and the end that, that, that he would present us as that spotless bride one day. You ever forget where you're, where you're going? And listen, as I get older, I'm reminded again and again that there's, there's uh, two signs that you're aging, right? You all remember these two signs? Two signs that you're aging. One is that you, you start to lose your memory. And the other... Always forget the second one. Right? We, we, we begin. There are times that I get in my car 
no kidding, I pull out of this driveway at the front of our campus and turn right and head south on Highway 29, and the goal is to get to 89 Brickyard Road, Comer, Georgia, and I find myself continuing toward Athens. There are other times, get in the car, I may even have Pastor Ben and Jeff in the car with me because we're going to Athens, maybe we're going to the hospital or, or maybe wherever, and, and I begin to give a signal when I get to the light in Danielsville because I'm, ready, I'm headed, where are you going? I don't know, I can't talk and drive at the same time. Where are we going? I forget where, you know, sometimes we just kind of forget where we're going. And I think the same is true in life. Now, it could be that we're not so forgetful. It's just that we just don't think about it. We just don't care. You ever had a a six or seven or eight-year-old boy? I know we just dismissed all these boys, so I can pick on them a little bit, right? Six, seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, and you got to get him dressed up for a wedding or a funeral or an important event where he's going to receive an award at school that night. You get that boy dressed up, and he still wants to go out and play because he had to get dressed up early. Is it that he forgot where he's going when he wants to get out and get in the mud and get in the grass and get the grass stains all over the knees and all that kind of stuff? Is it that he forgot where he was going? No, it's that he really just didn't really care about where he was going. Right now, I just want to play. And so for some of us, it's not that we forget our destiny, it's that we just don't even like to think about it. it was not now. Now it's time to play. Now, now it's time to kind of, I've got to sow my wild oats sometime, preacher, but listen, those who are truly children of God, those who are contenders and not pretenders, those who really walk in spiritual victory, grow past that immaturity of not knowing and not caring, and they live with a conscious awareness that, hey, I know where I'm going, I care about where I'm going, I know my destiny, I know who Christ is, and I know what he's doing in my life, and I know the ultimately I will stand glorified in his presence, and I'm going to live with the end in mind. It shapes the way we contend for our faith. We've, going back to this first point, we understand we, we've been saved from the penalty of sin in our life. That's, we call that justification. God makes us just as if we had never sinned because of our forgiveness, because of the work the Holy Spirit has done to cleanse us, regenerate us, but because of the adoption being placed and declared a child of God, I've been justified, just as if I had never sinned. And I know from my destiny here when I read verses 2 and 3 that there's coming a day where I will get a glorified body. I'll get, I'll get a brand new body and, and I'll be made just like Jesus. I'll be able to see and relate to him as he is because I will be made new as well and we'll enjoy that day and we look forward to that day. But I am right now, and, and that day, by the way, I'm going to be saved forever from the presence of sin. But, but in this life, we're kind of in between. I've, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I will be saved one day from the presence of sin, but what about right now? Right now, I am being saved. It's not just justification and glorification. We call this process sanctification, being made more like Jesus. Right now, I'm a work in process, and I'm cooperating with that process with the end in mind. And I realize this, believers can't win a fight to set themselves free from this process. If our faith is real and the Holy Spirit's not letting him go and, and Jesus is pursuing us, 
then he won't free you from the process of sanctification. So, where do we see that in the text? That's where verse 4 through 10 really picks up. Contenders, our third point this morning, contenders know God has defeated sin's grip in their lives. God has defeated sin's grip in your life and in my life. And I am learning not only that I've been set free from the penalty of sin and that one day I will be free from the presence of sin, right now I'm becoming more and more free from the power of sin in my life. That's sanctification. Setting me free, saving me from the power of sin in my life. Look at these verses. In verses 4 and 5, we see that our sin is removed. We're placed in right standing. He says, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is what? The breaking of the law. He says, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sin. There is no sin in him. And so that sin has been removed because I am in Christ and Christ is in me and there's no sin in Christ. And everyone who remains in him does not sin. Present active there does not continue to live in a life of habitual, continual sin. It's a life of repentance and turning from sin. Everyone who continually, habitually sins has not seen him or known him. If we know him, he's making us more like him. Our identity is in him. And then his nature, verse 7, is producing something in us. Little children, remember, you're his children. Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous because he is doing what? He's producing his character in us. And then verses 8 through 10, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And so who are we identifying with today? The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. He has defeated the grip of sin and the work of Satan in my life and in your life. We cannot use the excuse as believers filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot use the excuse, well, the devil made me do it. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so when we learn to walk in his spirit as the Holy Spirit of God fills us and empowers us and he guides us into the word of God, and, and shows us, illuminates to us how to live it out in our daily lives, we're becoming more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, and we'll be more like him tomorrow than we are today. That process is called sanctification, so are you becoming more like Jesus every day? If you're for real, that will be the case. No excuses, he says. Because he has been, what, born of God. You're a child of God. Now, I can look around the room and, and, and see some young men. I can, uh, if, had we not dismissed the, the younger ones especially, but I can see some of these boys and some of these uh, teenage young men, and, and I can look at their dad and go, yep, boy, he's starting to look like him. You know, he might have been told when he was younger, you look like your mama, but boy, now he's starting to look like his daddy. Some of you men, you mark those boys up pretty bad. They're starting to look like you. That's what happens to a believer. 
He becomes a child of God, and his nature and his character, as he grows, begins to reflect God's nature and God's character in this world, and he begins to walk in a spiritual victory in the power of God. We have everything, everything we need in him for that to happen. Now, this evening, I believe the Falcons have all of the tools necessary to win. I really do. I mean, back in 1999, I found myself going, how in the world did they get here? What are they doing in the Super Bowl? Man, if it wasn't for that lucky fumble and field goal and here and that, the Falcons, everybody knew in 99, kind of no bit. This year, I look at this team and I'm like, man, they got all the, as long as they execute, they've got all the tools they need, but they have to execute, right? Well, we have to execute. If we're going to experience victory, listen, they will do that tonight. All the hard work, all the blood, sweat, and tears. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, they're competing for a crown that will not last forever. It is temporal, it is earthly, it's going to fade away. And, and those who are running in the races, those who are competing in the games, they're, they're disciplining their body they're doing everything possible to say we've got to have a victory and they're going to do it for a trophy that will collect dust. They're going to do it for a reward that will not last. And then he comes back and he looks at the church at Corinth and he says, but you and I, we're competing for a crown that will last forever. And so quit wasting your time and your punches and your... run to win. Compete to be victorious. You've got everything you need. Execute. Listen, I want you to turn Let's to close by looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're sitting here this morning saying, I've not been able to walk in victory. I, 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 Pastor Robbie, I just don't have what it takes. Look at this verse. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Now, this is for those who have been adopted. This is for those whom the Spirit of God has come to take up residence in your life. It says, for His divine power has given us everything. Greek word for everything means everything. He has given us everything required for life and godliness. You have all the tools. Everything's in place. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 4 says, By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. You don't have to be defeated. God's given you everything in Christ for life, for godliness. God's given you everything you need for real victory. You're facing a trial. You've got everything you need to be victorious. You're facing a temptation. That sin that so easily entangles you, you have everything you need in Christ to get victory over that sin. But you have to execute. 
You have an opportunity to witness, an opportunity to stand up for your convictions and say, I will not bow to the sins of this world. You have everything you need to do that in Christ, to embrace those victories God's placed before you. Say, but Pastor, there's so much pressure. Can you imagine these athletes and how much pressure's on them this evening? There's so much pressure on my life, and it's just hard under all this pressure. Listen, when you squeeze a sponge, what comes out of it? What comes out of a sponge? Some of you are going, uh, water? Dishwater? Well, that depends on what's in the sponge, right? If it hasn't soaked up anything, nothing's going to come out. If it's soaked up some nasty stuff, when it's squeezed, nastiness is going to come out. And if it's, if it's soaked up some clean water, then when it's... Listen, when your life is under pressure, and when it's difficult to think about being victorious, when life squeezes you and pressures you with trials and temptations opportunities whatever you've soaked up along the way that's what's going to come out and if you're full of Jesus today then you look forward to a little bit of squeezing because it's more of Jesus that's going to come out right you bow your heads with me